And we're starting a new series. If you manage to either download or pick up a copy of the preaching plan, you'll see that we're, we're going to be looking in the, the book of Acts over the next number of weeks and listening to what God has to, to say to us uh, through this book. Uh, today, we're just going to read uh, the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. And let's hear God's word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. We thank the Lord for his truth. Amen. I don't know what image comes into your head when you think of the word church, but I'm sure quite likely it's a, a fair bit off what the original writers of the New Testament were probably thinking about. I'm going to give you a bit of a Greek lesson at this moment in time. The, the word that we have that's translated church in our Bibles, by and large, is this word ecclesia. And going back to what the word ecclesia means, it's got this sense of something that's uh, a people who are gathered, gathered out, called out uh, to be together. Quite often, it's, it's because they they believe the same sort of thing. It's, it's like they've been gathered out around an idea. So they're called to be together. They're gathered around a central idea. In some ways, we could describe this whole notion, not even as a church or anything like that, but as a movement, something that you believe deeply and passionately that you are uniting around. And I know that over recent times, as we have been thinking about coming back together uh, as church. 
And over this past 18 months, that's been a long journey for us. In the early part of, of our lockdown, we weren't able even to meet at all together, and we were thankful for the technology that enabled us at least to connect with one another in part. And then up to last week, whenever we did come together, we had to be two meters apart from one another. And our reaction for, for many of us has always been that during that time, it was never quite what we were used to. It just wasn't the same. The, the felt experience, as it were, of, of worshiping God together just wasn't what we could remember. So today, of course, when we come and there's a lot more in the room, uh, literally, as it were, we're, we're thankful for that. We're, we're glad for that. And it's, it's truly wonderful just to, to have at something that's close to what we remember before. But we must never think that the church is simply a place that we come to or it's a place that we just come to sit in. One of the very early reformers, uh, William Tyndale was one of the early Bible translators. When he was translating that word ecclesia, he didn't translate it as church, but he translated it with the word congregation. And we're familiar with that word, aren't we? Because we here today, we are the May's congregation of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. We, we have a sense of what it means to be a congregation. And the reason that Tyndale described this as a congregation is he was trying to get away from the idea that church was a place you go to or that place a place where you sat. And he was trying to get this idea that church was being part of something. It was being part of a movement. It starts by being in the room, by being together here in this place. You know, as we are together, and even as we sing and worship together, we're not simply directing our thoughts heavenward, which of course we do, there's also a sense in which we sing to one another. And as we sing to one another, we encourage one another in the praise and the worship of God. There's also a sense when we actually see one another here. And as we know each other, we're reminded of one another, but we're also reminded of the turmoils that we've gone through. There's a sense that we have that empathy, sympathy with with other people. We feel for people, but it's when we, we see them. And, and our, in that sense, our hearts go out to people, and there's a sense that, as the Bible encourages us, that we share one another's burdens. And so being part of the body of Christ, it's important that, that we're together and that we, we experience that. But the danger for any church is that we come to think of it simply as a place where we sit. The most important thing about a movement is, well, movements are supposed to move. And that's a question, I think, for all of us. As we're part of this church, this congregation this morning, have we a sense that we're just running stuff, doing stuff, part of an institution? Or are we part of a movement that is moving? 
that is going somewhere, that has a, has a purpose. And then thinking not simply as the entire church or congregation, you as an individual. Is this something that you can genuinely say, this is something that you are part of and that you are moving with and through this congregation? As we turn to the passage we were reading earlier, Acts chapter 1 verse 1 begins as we read verse 1 together. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's evident that there were two books written to the same person, Theophilus, who must have been a significant Roman authority written by Luke. His first book was self-evidently the Gospel of Luke. And he's telling us here what he was doing, what he wants to do. And that he says, I, I began... I wrote down what Jesus began to do. And that word began is significant because it's implying that the Acts of the Apostles, the second book, the account of what they were doing, was a continuation of what Jesus was doing. And furthermore, we are part of the continuation of what Jesus, what the Apostles, and what the church today is part of. So that continuity between what Luke was writing in his Gospel and what he writes in the Acts of the Apostles is significant, even as we were to look at the way in which Luke's gospel ends, as Jesus goes to heaven in 24, chapter 24 and verse 47, the angels are there and it says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, beginning in Jerusalem. And then Acts 1, if you cast your eye down to verse 8, you get a sense that now there's this continuity because we see again that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in, starting in Jerusalem, the continuity, but then spreading out Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're starting this new series looking at the book of Acts, a bit of an overview. We will be taking quite large chunks, but I want you over the next number of weeks to see this as a story. A story of the, the birth, a story of the movement and the growth and development of the church. We want to see how the bride of Christ, the church, is developing, is growing. I want you to see how the Holy Spirit is, is working through that and what God accomplishes through the church and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So standing back from the passage that we've read this morning, there's a couple of things that really stand out for me that I want to draw to your attention this morning. There's going to be two statements that I see here, and they both come with a question. And the first of those statements is that I find that these people, they, there was a message that gripped their hearts and their minds which begs the question, obviously, has this message gripped your heart and mind in the same way? Even as you read verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, where we see that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And so these early disciples were convinced 
that this message of Jesus was so true and so significant that they could not be the same. They were convinced about it. They were convinced that God was on a rescue mission to save men and women. And they believed that Jesus died as a substitute for us and for our sin, that Jesus died in our place. But not only had Jesus died, but Jesus had been raised to life again as proof and testimony that that sacrifice worked, that it was sufficient. And they were so convinced of it because they saw Jesus with their very own eyes. So they were convinced of all of this. And being convinced of all of this, they knew that this message was so significant that they had to take it to the ends of the earth and was so clear and definite in Jesus, this Jesus who had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was only in Jesus that we can have and experience new life, and that's what we must share as well. And if all of this was true, the early disciples came to the belief that they had to spend their lives for the sake of the gospel. They wanted to share the glory of God across this world. And so the question which must then come to us as we think about this, a number of people who had been literally gripped by this message is, have you been gripped by this message to the extent that you are completely changed? Has it captured your heart so that you are willing to go anywhere with it? You are willing to give up anything for it? Because really, if you're not, and if it hasn't, you're not really part of the movement. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus who can sit on the sidelines. And if I keep with my football analogy, and believe it or not, I've got lots of football today. This is illustrated in the life of the greatest manager of the Premier League, Jurgen Klopp, sorry Adam, <laughs> just before a significant Champions League final, he was interviewed and this is what he said, we have only this one life and we should try to make the best of it. That's what I try to do, to make the room a better place. It's normal for me. I don't think it's so special because I'm a Christian that I believe in God. Ultimately, because he has understood what the gospel is, it impacts his life and he wants to live it out as a normal aspect of his life that he just can't be like anyone else. The apostles were gripped by that message. It impacted their lives. And the question for us is, does it really impact our lives? Has it gripped your life, this message? And my second point, and again, it comes with a question, as what I see in these people is that really they yielded themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, which asks the question of us, have we really yielded ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit? What you find in the book of Acts is that the real mover all the way through it is the Holy Spirit. He, he's working there. He, he works in people over here. And, and so there's a sense that the people simply follow where, where the, the Holy Spirit is leading and directing and where he's influencing them. And the people yielded themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there are many aspects to the working of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we, we recognize that he gifts individuals. Sometimes that, that working of the Holy Spirit and what we're appreciative of the Holy Spirit is not even so much his gifts, but the fact that he comforts us and that he, he's with us. So sometimes it may be miraculous. Sometimes it may be a lot more mundane. But I think one of the core aspects of the working of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit enables you to testify about Jesus. Please look with me down to verse 8. And as you look at verse 8, I hope that you will see that this is addressed to you. So you can put your name in here, whether it's George or Harry or Samantha or Sally or whatever it is. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I know that we will make all sorts of excuses. Some of us will say, I don't have what it takes. But here we've just read the Holy Spirit is in you. Some of you will say, it's not my gift. Well, I know that some people have particular and very strong gifts in terms of speaking about the gospel. But this is something we all can do wherever we happen to be. Again, some of us may say, I don't have the time for this because I get up in the morning, I have my breakfast, I have my coffee, I go to work, I come home, I play a little with the kids, and I go to bed and I do the same the next day. But don't we all find time to do what we really want to do? And so what we end up doing is, just as I was speaking with the kids earlier, we end up blending in with other people. And we don't live distinctive, obvious Christian lives because we end up just doing like everybody else. And actually, we don't want to attract too much attention to this aspect of our lives. I said I had lots more football for the benefit of Man United, there's another picture of the team before a significant European match 20 years ago, 2001. If you count the number of people in that picture, you will notice that as the team was about to begin, there's one too many. Because as you look on the extreme left, you'll see there a guy who's called Carl Parr, who's not part of the team. But he snuck on to the pitch wearing the full kit, and in the next day's newspapers, he was all over the newspapers because he had pulled off the most amazing prank that was ever possible to do. And you can notice that even at the right-hand side, the, the, the looks over. He says, who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is, but he's with us. And that guy, Carl Parr, really, he's the master of blending in with, with other people. But you know, you'd think that having done that once, that would be the end of it. But no, because that's him on center court at Wimbledon, just before Tim Henman was about to play. And not content with that, he went out to bat for England. And he's also been on the podium of the Formula One. As I said, he is the master of blending in. He is good at what I might suggest we are all also very good at. We are good at blending in. 
We don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves as believers, as followers of Jesus. We just like to blend in. But Jesus said you are to do the exact opposite of all of that. You are to live in a way that is distinct and obvious and clear so that you stand out. We are called to testify to the saving power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And these two core principles that we've looked at today This belief that this message has so gripped us that we can't be the same. And secondly, that we will move in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we will yield ourselves to wherever the Holy Spirit is directing us. See, the church of Jesus Christ will not be built up with a crowd of ideas or innovations, but our only hope of seeing this world impacted for the gospel, changed for the gospel, is insofar as we are a people who are led and directed and yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And so in the light of all of that, as I look at this congregation, there's a couple of things that I see. The first of all is simply that we are a movement and that we will not be content where we are but that we will move and that we will have a sense that God is among us. As well as being a movement, we will also follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that this congregation is not simply a place that you will come to, that this is not simply a place where you will sit. This is a movement where you must find your place and that you are part of this movement of God. Now, it may well be, possibly, that as you are listening to me now, you have a sense that you've never actually thrown your weight in with Jesus Christ. You've been part of church, possibly, for a long time, possibly many years, but you've never actually grasped what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, and and yet God has been working in your heart and life, and you There's been things happening in your mind and you can see what Jesus is saying to you. My encouragement to you is to follow Jesus. Understand what Jesus has done for you and and how he claims your life and what he has done when he died for you that you might have life eternal. Throw your lot in with Jesus. Take Jesus as your savior. And for the rest of us, let's remember that movements move. And if you are not moving, you have not really grasped what this place is really about. We follow Jesus, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we go where he leads us. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us and convict us. Challenge us. Lay your word deep in our heart. May that word become alive in the power of your Spirit and enable us to be distinct clear-minded followers of Jesus. Lord, may we impact our community and our society. Lord, may we be part 
of this movement of your kingdom. Amen.